Well, Michael, it is 420 today, isn't it? It it actually is, isn't it? Um, yeah, thanks for reminding me. It's April 20th as we air this episode. <laughs> yes, April 20th. And uh, yeah, the 420 thing, I mean, you know what that reminds me of, right? Um, I don't know if I want to ask you that question. I mean, I don't know if, if I'd say that this is like a family show per se. So do we care? I but you know. Listen, I, I'm not going too deep with this, Michael. The reality okay. is 420 <laughs> reminds me of Elon Musk and all those... You know, kind of jokes he makes all the time. He sort of has that, I don't know, what would you call it? Like high school tech bro humor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that sums it up with his various memes, his jokes, his doge, I, you know, logos. Everything, and, right? Yeah. It's like everything yeah. about him. So, okay, given that it's April 20th, 420 today, I thought it might be a time to take another look back at Elon Musk's tenure as the owner of Twitter. It's been... A few months now since he's taken over and it hasn't exactly been a quiet uh, few months has it no not in the least honestly there's there's been a lot that's gone on so yeah let's get into it let's let's explore elon musk twitter and maybe a bit of what the future holds right after we roll the intro welcome to rocketship.fm rocketship fm is produced in partnership with product collective we are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Before we get into Elon Musk's Twitter, let's start with a few words from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. 
This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Okay, the Elon Musk brand of Twitter. Uh, honestly, man, where do we even start with this one? <laughs> well, I, I guess we do have to rewind a little bit. Maybe we'll start with a timeline first, right? So the wheels started to get put in motion for Elon Musk to take over Twitter just over a year ago. Actually, it was April 5th when Elon Musk disclosed that he had purchased more than 9% of Twitter's stock on the open market. And this was a very big deal. I mean, Twitter's public company at the time, they essentially saw one of the world's most prolific tech titans become their most important individual investor basically overnight. At first, Musk was offered a board seat at the company. Ultimately, though, he declined that board seat and announced his intention to get the capital together to acquire the company outright. On April 14th, he made his offer to Twitter, $44 billion, which came out to $54.20 per share yeah 54 20 get it michael uh yeah there it is <laughs> <laughs> that's that high school tech bro humor we were talking about showing up even in his multi-billion dollar acquisition offer for one of the world's most visible public companies hey when you're elon musk i guess you could do pretty much whatever you want uh anyway the acquisition of twitter it wasn't exactly so straightforward. The Twitter board, they tried to adopt a poison pill strategy to be able to decline Musk's offer, even though it was actually well above the current valuation of the company. But by April 25th, they ultimately did accept his offer. Yeah, the thing was, shortly soon after, Musk was already trying to get out of the offer he made. On May 13th, he tweeted appropriately that he was putting the deal on hold and all of a sudden started to get very concerned about Twitter's bot situation. Yeah, the bots. Remember that time everybody was talking about Twitter's <laughs> bots? Every day in the news, always about what Elon Musk had to say about the bots. Welcome back. Uh, Elon Musk uh, tweeting over the weekend about Twitter, predicting that the number of robots on Twitter is much worse than people know, questioning the company's 5% number. Elon questioning the robots. <laughs> of course, the real reason that Musk was trying to pull away may have had to do more with the fact that the general sentiment in tech started to sour very quickly. There were concerns about a potential looming recession. Many tech companies had started to see their stock decline pretty dramatically, pretty much immediately after Musk had made that offer to acquire Twitter, uh, unrelated, I believe, but that's what happened, right? So, and it may have had to do something with Twitter's change of heart in accepting Musk's offer too. Uh, there's a lot of legal back and forth between Musk's camp and Twitter's camp and there ended up being a trial that was set to determine whether Musk would be enforced to complete the deal. But ultimately, 
Musk agreed to complete the acquisition after all, and it was consummated at the end of October of 2022. Later that week, Elon stepped into Twitter's office as its new owner. Here's an ABC News segment about Musk taking over Twitter. Tonight, with the level of potentially dangerous political rhetoric higher than ever, a new leader of Twitter. The world now watching what Elon Musk will do with the platform. Musk, who walked into Twitter HQ this week carrying a literal sink to let it sink in that he's the boss, tweeting today, the bird is freed, wasting no time cleaning the bird cage, firing the CEO, CFO, and chief legal counsel. I think it was very clear that Elon wanted to shake up the leadership of Twitter. Musk also wants to shake up the platform itself, vowing in a TED Talk earlier this year to remove permanent bans, including the one placed on former President Donald Trump's account after the January 6th insurrection. Trump has insisted he has no interest in coming back to the platform since he has his own, Truth Social. But he congratulated Musk, writing, I am very happy that Twitter is now in sane hands. That's Donald Trump happy that Twitter is in sane hands. Uh, we'll just let that sink in. <laughs> and oh, come on, Musk walking in with an actual sink. It's, it's pretty corny, honestly, but I mean, whatever. He was the boss now. And I guess that was him making that clear to everyone. Yes, that's true. So Elon Musk's first order of business to cut staff pretty dramatically too. Twitter at the time of the acquisition had about 7,500 employees. And once he took over the helm, he started the unceremonious task of laying off nearly half the staff at that time. There were actually a couple rounds of early layoffs and resignations. Very quickly, his staff of 7,500 turned into a staff of 2,900. And then there was the ultimatum. Yes, that's right. Musk put out an ultimatum asking everybody to go hardcore. This was now mid-November, and according to Musk, things they'd be changing. The culture would be different, and they would be expected to go hardcore. Here's a CNN Tonight segment with more on that. Let's take viewers back. Musk earlier this week gave Twitter workers, the people who are remaining after those mass layoffs earlier this month, he gave them an, a choice. Uh, work, quote unquote, hardcore or leave the company with three months of severance. It seems like a large amount of people have decided to leave the company. They don't want to work hardcore. And that's thrown the future of this platform into utter chaos. Um, I've been talking to people all day. One former executive who recently exited told me that with all these uh, departures, it's going to be hard just to keep the lights on over there. And so now with all these departures, uh, the people who are remaining, the management, has suspended badge access into Twitter's offices, presumably because they're afraid that uh, employees who are technically no longer employed at Twitter uh, could potentially sabotage things. I'll read you the statement or the email they sent to staffers. It says, effective immediately, we are temporarily closing our office buildings and all badge access to will be suspended. Offices will reopen on Monday, uh, November 21st. And it goes on to say, we look forward to working with you on Twitter's future uh, but as, as you can see just mass disarray has gripped this company here mass disarray at twitter headquarters but i'll add kind of by design yeah i'd say that this was musk's plan really when musk took over the company there were again 7500 employees he was very public in saying that he believed twitter was very overstaffed so him laying out this ultimatum was one way of getting his employees to essentially just opt out. Those that weren't committed to his vision, who weren't willing to be, 
or not willing to be hardcore, well, they could leave. Yeah, and the ones that would remain, well, they'd be expected to step their game up. They'd be expected to put in long hours, maybe even 80-plus-hour weeks, marathon sessions that included weekends, even sometimes sleeping in the office. Twitter employees were surprised to find that Elon Musk had made some renovations in their offices. Specifically, he had converted empty office space into full-on bedrooms for himself and his employees. Hopefully not to sleep together. (laughs) But uh, we do have some examples of the images, which, uh, by the way, has sparked an investigation by the city of San Francisco because there are zoning laws and... I'd like to think some labor laws that would play into this. That was from the Young Turks. And yeah, very crude sleeping quarters were installed at Twitter's offices to encourage Twitter employees to stay there round the clock working on the new Twitter. I suppose that's better than sleeping in a sleeping bag under a conference desk, which is what product manager Esther Crawford did, which was showed to the world in a picture that went viral. Of course, it wasn't just the regular staff that slept in the office often. Stephen Davis, the CEO of Musk Boring Company, that's the actual company name, The Boring Company. Anyway, he and his partner and newborn baby spent the first few weeks after his baby was born sleeping in a makeshift bedroom in the San Francisco office. Yeah, and even Elon Musk himself had been known to sleep at Twitter headquarters, whether it was in one of those makeshift bedrooms or just on a couch. So what happened when Twitter went hardcore? We'll find out after a short break. Okay, before the break, we were learning about the new Twitter under Elon Musk's ownership. We went through the timeline of events that happened starting in early April 2022, when Musk first bought 9% of the company's stock on the public market, all the way to late October when he finally took the company over. And by November, his staff was asked to go hardcore. The flexible remote work rules were tightened up, layoffs were issued, ultimatums were given, and despite many leaving, he did have many committed employees who seemingly did believe his vision. Yeah, or who had no choice but to stay and help him see that vision through. I mean, some employees were in on H-1B visas, and if they were let go or resigned, they may actually have to leave the country. But yes, nevertheless, this much leaner staff They were now part of the new Twitter of sorts. And one of the first major announcements that Twitter would make after Musk took over came just about one month after that. But it wouldn't be about new features launching, at least not quite yet. It would be the Twitter files. Yes, the Twitter files. Basically an investigation into the old Twitter by the new Twitter. There were many people who believed that the old Twitter was moderating certain accounts and reducing amplification of certain accounts, mostly right-leaning accounts. And so Musk brought in several journalists to do an independent investigation of this. He called it the Twitter files. Here's a CNN segment with more on that. Over the past few weeks, journalists picked by Elon Musk have been given access to some of Twitter's internal systems and communications. Matt Taibbi is one of them. They have a whole universe of stuff that they can do to any single account. They can dial it all the way down to you cannot be searched, all the way up to your account will not trend. Only people who follow you can see you. Even people who follow you won't see you unless they search. So far, select images like these of Twitter's internal systems purport to show how some prominent conservatives were added to lists like Do Not Amplify and seemingly broke Twitter's rules. But few specifics were included in the files. We were averaging 115,000 retweets a day when we were really at our peak. Then all of a sudden we saw 
off a cliff almost immediately. Our engagement, our retweets disappear. Twitter has previously acknowledged it de-amplifies accounts if used as harmful or that regularly break its rules, but it does not tell those users their accounts are being limited. Musk wants to change that. There were some people that thought the Twitter files were a very big deal. I mean, it did appear to show some proof that there was a lot of human manipulation on how certain accounts were amplified or de-amplified. There were others who thought it was a non-story. That yes, the Twitter files did show that that was happening, but it was happening for a good reason. That those who were being silenced, in a way, they're being silenced because of the harmful content they're sharing. Yeah, it definitely provided more fodder for everybody to discuss for a while. But honestly, it was sort of a curious move for the new Twitter to make. I mean, the Twitter files, maybe there's information to be shared there that's important, but... Should it have been the first thing that the new Twitter does? Yeah, I mean, you'd think that first move would be something to, I don't know, improve the user experience or roll a new feature out, like showcase what could be done with this smaller team. Yeah, and and in fairness, I suppose those things did come. I mean, at least new features. Uh, In early December, Twitter announced a brand new product that they would be rolling out, Twitter Blue which essentially allows you to buy that little blue checkmark next to your name. Previously, that checkmark reserved for verified accounts, and verification was earned by being a notable figure of some sort of celebrity, politician, journalist, something like that. But now, for the low, low price of $8 a month, <laughs> you too could have a blue checkmark next to your name, along with uh, some other features, I guess, that you could take advantage of, like the ability to edit a tweet if you think, you know, editing a tweet is that important. Um, There were other, you know, quote-unquote exclusive functions. Here's an NBC Bay Area segment talking more on this. Twitter is moving fast toward launching Twitter Blue. The company started rolling out changes for some users today in preparation for the revamped subscription service. The big update? Users will be able to buy the blue checkmark to signal that users' identity is verified by Twitter. Historically, the checkmark has been reserved for notable users like politicians, journalists, executives, celebrities, and organizations. Many experts say the change is being driven by Musk's need to make the service more profitable, and all users should be aware. My general advice to people is to diversify their information. Do not let Twitter be your only platform of, of, uh, of information. You need to actually make really important decisions in this world. This new check mark now that's going to be available to everyone for pay, it does complicate the matter of trying to figure out who is who. That was Dr. Matt Cabot, professor of media relations at the San Jose State University, and he pretty much called it. He said that with this new subscription rollout, you may have a hard time figuring out who is who. If pretty much anyone can now buy a check mark, and it kind of removes that personal verification. And you know what? It's exactly what happened. Yeah, the new Twitter Blue rollout, it was a disaster. I mean, just a few days after it launched, it was put on hold. Here's a segment from an ABC News affiliate, WCVB in Boston. Seems to be utter chaos. Experts who study misinformation say the dramatic changes at Twitter have been troubling and dangerous. Well, anyone can pay $8 apparently and say that they're a senator. On Wednesday, Twitter started letting people pay to be verified, and the Washington Post showed how easy it was by making this fake account, impersonating Senator Ed Markey, blue badge and all. 
An account impersonating pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly claimed insulin was free, sending its stock sliding 4.5%. The more difficult we make it for people to understand the truth, we're going to have difficulty making accurate policy decisions. It can have implications for how our democratic system works. Michelle Amazine studies misinformation at BU and says the changes at Twitter during Elon Musk's short two-week tenure are alarming. It's not really clear how we're going to get a handle on this. It is anyone's guess as to what happens next, but we do know that that paid verified checkmark system has been suspended, at least for now. I mean, you had to think that Twitter would know that the rollout would be a mess. Just letting anyone get verified, even under a different person's name? Yeah, not exactly a well-polished rollout. They have since reopened up that program, along with some new anti-deception rules, like your account now must have no recent changes to your profile photo, display name, or username. Uh, your account must have no signs of being misleading or deceptive. And there shouldn't be any signs of engaging in platform manipulation or spam. So... For what it's worth, I guess they've made some improvements here. Yeah, although it's still a very questionable offering. Fast forwarding a bit, just a few weeks ago on April 1st, it was supposed to be the day that the only way you can get a blue check mark is by subscribing to Twitter Blue. Those who had a blue check mark verification badge from the previous iteration of this, what is called like Legacy Blue, these would be going away. Yes, although on April 1st, those with legacy blue check marks who didn't subscribe to Twitter Blue, they actually still had their check marks. Musk said that the final date that those badges would disappear would be today, 420, April 20th. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess it's worth checking accounts like LeBron James and Stephen King, uh, you know, just two of very many celebrities who said that they wouldn't be paying. Um, we'll have to check and see if their blue check marks disappear today. Uh, anyway, back to other moves made by the new Twitter. Well, they did eventually roll out a lot of new features, whether they're good features or not. I don't know. It's debatable. But one example, when you look at your Twitter app today, you can probably tell that there's a lot of differences than what you saw, say, six months ago. Some of that come to mind. First off, tweets are now organized by a for you and a following section. It's actually similar to apps like TikTok. The following category is content from people that you follow, whereas the for you that's the Twitter algorithm at work, um, and it's what Twitter thinks you want to hear. Yeah, and you know what? In theory, I don't mind this. I actually like that it clearly identifies who I'm following and whose content Twitter wants me to see. That way, I could just choose to look at the content from you know, the people I follow, or I could give the you know, For You section a shot. On some platforms, it's actually not so clear that the content I'm seeing is showing up because I want to see it or because of some algorithm. Yeah, it's fair enough. And I, I do think it's questionable, though, how the For You content shows up. For me personally, I often see content that it doesn't seem relevant to me or my interest. It, I, don't, I don't know where they're kind of getting these interests from, honestly. Yeah, I've seen that too. Um, I've also noticed that engagement for, for my tweets anyway, it's gone way down. And I mean, look, I'm no celebrity. I mean, I've got a few thousand followers or whatever, nothing major, but... Um, but, you know, something. And before, I don't know, let's just say that there were tweets where I might see 10 to 20 interactions consistently. And again, I'm not talking about tens of thousands, but if there was 10 to 20, now I might get barely any interactions. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of organizing my own version of the Twitter files to investigate why <laughs> I might be de-amplified. 
<laughs> you should. You should. I mean, it'll be about as legit as the first Twitter file. So, <laughs> uh, Anyway, speaking of tweets, you now see so many little icons and metrics underneath every single tweet. It's, it's no longer just like likes and retweets, but now you see views, quote retweets, bookmarks. It, it's a lot. Yeah, and if we're being honest, it's a pretty clunky experience. And I'm not quite sure I see the value. Like, I don't know, bookmarks? Yeah, Michael, I don't even know what a bookmark is in relation to Twitter, to be honest with you. Yeah, you also saw a certain label start to appear. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, some of them, like community notes, uh, this was a feature before Musk took over that was called Birdwatch. Starting in December, though, it was launched globally as community notes, and it's sort of a crowdsourced fact-checking service. And and I kind of like this idea. It's, It's an example of combating misinformation by getting groups of people to weigh in and sort of fact check. You do have to rate a certain number of community notes in order to be part of that group that can create a community note. But yeah, it's one feature that's not so bad, but I'm seeing other labels that like, I don't know, honestly, kind of make my eyes roll. Yeah, like what? Well, NPR, National Public Radio, just recently in their Twitter profile, a little tag appeared that dubbed it state-affiliated media, which is the same term it uses for propaganda outlets in Russia, China, and other autocratic countries. And I don't know, it's just... This is not true. No. You know, Twitter, they even changed that tag to government-funded media, (laughs) which is still misleading considering NPR is a private nonprofit company. It actually gets less than 1% of its $300 million annual budget from federally funded Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So even saying government-funded media is totally misleading. Yeah, it's just frustrating. So... Where do all of these changes leave Twitter in the eyes of advertisers? Where, let's face it, that's where their primary revenue comes from. And how have they impacted the value of Twitter overall? And what's next for the big blue bird? All of that and more after one more quick break to hear from our sponsors. Before the break, we learned about the new Twitter and its much leaner team and all of the new little features and functions we're seeing pop up in the app these days. Some of them interesting, a lot of them frustrating. Yeah, but how do all of these changes land with the advertisers, which has traditionally been Twitter's primary revenue? What kind of subscription revenue is it earning today? Basically, how's the business of Twitter doing? Well, let's start with advertising. According to CNN, as of February anyway, more than half of Twitter's top 1,000 advertisers have stopped spending altogether. It was estimated that monthly revenue from advertisers was cut by more than 60% from around $127 million to just over $48 million. At least that's according to January's numbers. That's not good. I mean, think about it. If that ended up playing out for an entire year, that'd be an annual revenue change from say 1.52 billion to just over 500 million. Now, we don't know if those advertisers were just taking a wait and see approach and may come back, but it's definitely not good news for Twitter. No, not at all. But maybe the loss in revenue can be mitigated by their Twitter Blue subscription revenue, right? Well, in its first quarter, Twitter Blue earned about $11 million in subscription revenue. Now, hey, look, I I wish my company had had $11 million in quarterly subscription revenue. That'd be really nice. But for Twitter, I mean, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. I mean, that's what, $44 million if, if you take that out an entire year? 
the additional $44 million, it doesn't make up for that lost potential $1 billion in declining advertising revenue, not by a long shot. This has all left the value of Twitter as a business, well, in a way, in a worse place than when Musk first took over. Here's a Yahoo News segment with more on Twitter's value decline. Twitter is apparently worth just half of what Elon Musk paid for it, according to a leaked memo from the company. Since Musk's takeover, the company has seen ad revenue plummet and employee headcount slashed by more than half. We're joined by Yahoo Finance's own Dan Howley for the latest here. Dan, like $20 billion is what it's worth now versus the $44 billion. What happened? Yeah, less than half is, is what we're looking at here. And, you know, it, it really comes down to the number of companies that uh, are, are seem to be working with Twitter as far as advertising goes. And just, I guess, you know, where people see the company at this point, you know, uh, Twitter is still very popular among uh, a certain set of, of the population, uh, you know, celebrities, uh, brands, journalists, uh, you know, thought leaders, people along those lines. But it's, you know, never going to be the TikTok or Facebook that it could have been, or maybe uh, Elon Musk hopes it will be. But you know, we're looking at this this twenty two billion dollar, uh, excuse me, twenty billion dollar valuation versus the forty four billion dollar valuation, uh, and I, I really think it comes down to just you know not enough advertisers jumping onto the platform, and no clear you know direction as to where the platform's going. The value is less than half now than when Musk took over. That's not a good sign. No, many people are taking their victory laps and dunking on Twitter. Even Jimmy Fallon. Some uh, some business news. Elon Musk just valued Twitter at $20 billion, which is less than half of what he paid for it last year. You got to give him credit, though. At a time when the price of everything has gone up, Elon cut Twitter in half. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> he lost $24 billion in value. Yep, it's strange when flammable Teslas aren't the worst thing in your portfolio. But I do think we should add an important caveat here. Okay. Well, it's true that Twitter's value is less than half of what it was when Musk took over, but look at the companies that Twitter's competing with. I'll take two similar public companies. You have Snapchat as one and Meta with its brands like Facebook and Instagram. For those two companies, things have been pretty turbulent too. At the time when Musk offered to buy Twitter, to the time when he tried to back out just those few weeks, Snapchat's shares were actually down 30% in that time, and Meta's shares were down 5%. And then, by the time that the deal actually went through for Twitter, Snapchat's shares were down by 70% from when Musk first offered to buy Twitter, and Meta's shares, they were down by over 50%. I see what you're saying. So, yes, Twitter's value is down, but nearly all social media companies are also down. Yes. And I should say, though, like, look, Meta has actually rebounded. I mean, it's actually up a few points from this point last year, but Snapchat's down about two thirds of where it was at this point last year. So it's just a very turbulent market right now for any company whose revenue is based on ads. Yeah. Hey, that's fair enough. Although many in the Musk camp might have assumed that he would magically make things better. And frankly, that just hasn't happened. Well, definitely not in terms of dollars and cents. Okay, so what about the future? Well, in the future, even in the present right now, there is no Twitter. Uh, okay, I'm not, not following. <laughs> well, look, the company Twitter actually no longer exists. It's, it's now a product underneath the parent company of X. 
And some believe that oh. Musk buying Twitter was really just a plan for X to be sort of an everything app. Here's a CNBC last call segment talking about what could be the future for Twitter and X. All right, fresh news out of Elon's growing tech empire, Twitter Inc. is no more. According to recently released court filings, the company known as Twitter, the company, has merged into something called X Corp and apparently no longer exists. Now, the app will still be called Twitter, we think, and at least for now, but X Corp is a shell firm created and owned by Musk. Now, Musk expressed on Twitter last October that he would be using his purchase of Twitter as a, quote, accelerant to creating Everything X, the Everything app. Ideally, an app similar maybe, I guess, to China's WeChat, one where you can message social network, but also pay people stuff, shop, whatever it was, I guess kind of a, a Venmo meets Twitter meets Instagram. But is it even possible to remake Twitter into that type of a platform? Let's talk about it with Wharton School of Business professor Americus Reed and uh, Wall Street Journal tech strategist Joanna Stern. Both are CNBC contributors. Joanna, what do you make of X? Will it, will it mark the spot? Uh, I think, well, it, it's marked the spot of the death of, of, of Twitter, I think, as we know it. That marks the spot. I think it has been very hard for companies to build what has been called the everything app dream because there are different types of things people are trying to cram into one app. Facebook has been the goal for Facebook or Meta. This has been the goal for many types of companies, Amazon, et cetera. In the U.S. specifically, we are all most of the market share is on iPhones. And so where we really where we really see a lot of this activity, what what Elon wants to make there. Right. Which is all these different apps. Well, we jump around from app to app. And so building that all into one app has been a very tough dream. And really, it's 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 not been the reality for any of the big social media companies. The everything app. Well, I certainly can see Musk trying to build just that. Can he? Will he? Maybe we'll have to revisit this one again before too long. Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely going to have to. Maybe on 420 next year. I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in exactly a year. But that's going to wrap things up for today. So for Michael Saka, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Rocketship.fm. And Hey, Elon, happy 422, I guess. I don't know. I'll, I'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to the Podglomerate com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.